0: And now, live, it's time. Which team, by colors alone, is identifiable around the world? It's time for the JT The Brick Show. Which team, by slogan, commitment to excellence? On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM.
1: Just win, baby. All those things are the Raiders. Here's your host, JT The Brick. Thanks for coming back, everybody. JT with you. Off tomorrow, Bobby tells us, off Monday for President's Day. That's it, huh? All right, we'll take him. We'll have great programming for you here on Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m., and we are rolling. we got a lot to get to this hour. Jordan Schultz is going to join us in a little bit. He's an NBA, NFL, I don't know how to describe him, a newsbreaker. He's bounced around a little bit. He's got got a name for himself, and he puts out a lot of content, and he's putting out a lot of content on Derek Carr with the Raiders. So I'll interview him. On that and a couple other topics, he'll join us coming up here. Also, the franchise, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. Anybody who knows sports talk in Southern California knows Lee Hamilton. He's one of the Dean's former play-by-play voice of the Chargers and the Seattle Seahawks. We'll have him on to talk about post-Super Bowl We didn't get any calls in the first hour because I had two big interviews, long interviews. Kurt Busch joined us, the NASCAR driver from Vegas, and then a long 20-minute conversation with Phil Villapiano, which I hope you enjoyed. Uh, Fu talked about being at the Madden Memorial on Monday night up in Oakland, and also Cliff Branch. Great Cliff Branch stories and about John Madden, so that's what we do. We tell stories with the legends. One of the first meetings I went to when we built this radio station is they said, listen, the goal of this is to take the new fans in Vegas and get them up to speed about the Raiders. And we believe we've done that, and we're going to continue to do that. We're going to put on alumni, legends, Hall of Famers. You saw what we did at the Super Bowl with everyone we had on. Hey, how about Barry Sanders selling us he's a Raider fan? Barry Sanders saying Cliff Branch was one of his favorite. That blew me away. But now we have a new coaching staff and new executives coming in and more coaches coming in. So our job is to get you up to speed with all of that. And we'll be doing that here in the next couple of weeks as the Raiders and Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler continue to build out this staff. And when there's a new hire, we'll let you know about it. And then we'll do a deep dive on them and figure out what the Raiders are going to do going forward. This is Josh McDaniels' team now. He is an offensive servant. He has six Super Bowl rings. No coach ever in NFL history has that going into a job. Now, he had the job at Denver. He told you about the mistakes he made, how he grew from that. He covered that at the press conference. He covered that in the interview that I had with him. Now we're not going to talk about Denver anymore because that's way in his past, and we're talking about Las Vegas. Imagine what it's like for these coaches to get their families settled, to move out here, find schools. A lot of these guys are young they got kids who are under 10 years old. they got to get them set up, buy houses, get in schools, and do all that. And a lot of the coaches who are no longer here are in that situation, too, and we feel for them as they're trying to change their lives up as they're going to different cities and doing all that. But either way, once a Raider, always a Raider. And what do the Raiders do? Because Cincinnati's a really big story. Cincinnati, I think, helps the Raiders in regards to what I do on the radio, which is talk about how do you win. And Cincinnati two years ago won two games, last year four. Then all of a sudden ten, and the Raiders won ten. And that could have been the Raiders. And give Cincinnati credit. They threaded the needle. They went into Nashville and beat the Titans. But I don't think the Raiders would have been sacked ten times or nine times in that game. I think the Raiders could have went into Nashville and won. And then Cincinnati was down 21-3 to and beat Kansas City. And it would have been nice to see the Raiders play Kansas City for the third time. So when you think about going to the Super Bowl, we have a perfect Super Bowl to look back on to talk about the Raider path. The Raider path could be building through the draft and having two good drafts back-to-back if they can get that going and then be in the situation of Cincinnati. Or they can get into the Rams and what the Rams did by bringing in free agents. And I would think playing in Vegas would be better for some football players than Los Angeles. Really would be. Because of the Vegas tax break. And the opportunity to play in a brand new stadium. Brand new. You get that with the Rams and Chargers. This one's different. And to have the break financially. You would hope that that would convince a free agent or two. I was always led to believe that. Because I've been in meetings with that. That's really the big pitch. Come to Vegas. It's a great lifestyle. We had some guys get in trouble this last year. I didn't share this story to many. But I think it's a good time to share it. When I was at the Super Bowl. I was at Lee Steinberg's party. And Lee Steinberg is the super agent who had all the quarterbacks. Troy Aikman, Warren Moon, Steve Young, Ben Roethlisberger, you name it. He had them all. And as I was at the party, I saw a young guy to the left of me, and it turned out it was Nate Hobbs. And I said, wow, hey, Nate, I introduced myself, because you don't get a chance to see these guys with COVID. And Nate couldn't have been cooler. And we talked and said, hey, anything I could do to help you out down the road, let me know. And right to my right was Willie Brown's daughter, the greatest cornerback In one of the best in NFL history, and I said to myself, I'm going to connect them too. I like connecting people. So I connected Willie's daughter with Nate Hobbs, and they walked off, and they talked privately for about a half hour. And it was just one of those moments where you're like, okay, this young man has got to connect with this woman who is a legend in the Raider community, the daughter of Willie Brown. And they talked for about a half hour, and I called my wife while they were talking. I said, I hope I did something right here helping this young man who's been through a bunch and made some mistakes, maybe now he can connect with the Brown family, and that could help in any way possible. So afterwards, I shook Nate's hand and said, gave him my number and said, look, I hope everything goes well because there's been a lot of mistakes made around here, some high-profile mistakes, and now there's a new coaching staff coming in. Some of those players will be here. Some of them won't. But it's going to be the same issue in Vegas coming up. How do you have a lifestyle in Vegas conducive to football because the majority of the players just focus on football. They don't go out. They don't get in trouble. They're not out late. They don't drive fast. They, they have great families. They do everything right. So hopefully a fresh start for a lot of players here under Josh McDaniels and a bunch of new players coming in. A whole bunch of new players coming in. Because the Raiders are right there with 10 wins. How they get from 10 to 11, 10 to 12 is really going to be the issue here. All right. Before we get to this next interview, which I'm really excited for you to hear, Adam Silver is now talking about the vaccine in New York, the commissioner of the NBA, because Kyrie Irving can't play. He can't play in New York because of the vaccine mandate. Listen to now the pressure coming from the commissioner to get one of the best players in the league back on the court.
0: This law in New York, the the oddity of it to me is that it only applies to home players. If, ultimately, that rule is about protecting people who are in the arena, it just doesn't quite make sense to me that an away player who's unvaccinated can play in Barclays, but the home player can't. So, to me, that's a reason they should take a look at that ordinance. And so while, you know, again, my personal view is people should get vaccinated and boosted, I can imagine a scenario where Brooklyn, as, as part of New York City, Um, With a new mayor now who wasn't in place, Eric Adams, when that original ordinance was put in place, I could see him deciding to change along the way and say it's no longer necessary to have a mandatory vaccination requirement, as I said, particularly one that only affects home players.
1: So I wanted to play that to set up this next moment on the show. So last night I'm doing my show on SiriusXM. I'm a big Knicks fan. That's how I got my name, JT the Brick. It rhymes with Knicks. Well, Bobby, some people don't know that. I know you know that. I'm just (laughs) saying some people don't know that. So that's the backstory. I'm a diehard Knicks fan, diehard. So the Knicks were up 28 points on the Nets, and the Nets had nobody last night. They didn't have Kyrie. They didn't have Durant. Ben Simmons, who they traded for, was in street clothes. And the biggest guy they didn't have was James Harden. They just traded him. So they had nobody. And the Knicks blew the lead. So as the Knicks blew the lead, I'm at home doing my show, and I look down at my phone, and it's Stephen A. Smith from ESPN, a friend of mine, diehard Knick fan. He says, put me on the radio. I said, well, I'm going to break. i got to wait till the top of the hour. He says, I'll call in. So this was Stephen A. last night when he called in, and the epic collapse that went down at Madison Square Garden as the Knicks collapsed again.
2: The New York Knicks are trash. They're horrible, JT. And so disgusted, I, I I I can barely contain myself. I lost it on sports the last night. I need to apologize to my listeners for going off. I talked about how Tom Thibodeau was probably going to get himself fired. You lose a 28-point lead to a team that doesn't have Kevin Durant, doesn't have Kyrie Irving, doesn't even have Ben Simmons, that's led by a rookie and Cam Thomas who scored 16 points on you in the fourth quarter. You lose to a team that's lost like 11 of their last 12 games. You lose to a team that has a coach that just started coaching in basketball professionally last year. You lose to a Brooklyn Nets team that came into your house, forfeited a 28-point lead. It's no excuse for it. I mean, it's from top to bottom. It's horrendous. It's a nightmare. You've got a guy in Leon Rose, and I said this, you have state penitentiary inmates that are more visible than this man. You don't see from him. You don't hear from him. You don't even know if he's working because there's nothing on this Knicks roster that tells us that he's put in a good day's work. Look at the roster itself. Julius Randle, I mean, just a petulant, petulant individual. I'm not going to call him a child. He's a grown man. I'm not going to district him like that. But the way that he has acted since the New York Knicks fans came down on him a little bit to give them the thumbs down and the act up ever since, you could see how easily he's affected by the crowd. The bottom line is the good game that he's had for the most part has been when he's been on the road away from the crowd. But when he's playing in front of the crowd, the second they react negatively to one of those turnovers, one of those ill-advised shots, too much dribbling, et cetera, et cetera, he starts pouting. His body language is awful. He just seems like he's to grow up. And then he speaks out last week and he says, I'm riding with Tibbs no matter what, which gives you every indication that Thibodeau is not on the same page as management who traded for Cam Reddish. And anybody with sense, JT, knows that if a team, management, trades for a player, that they believe is good enough to be playing, particularly on a roster as an F as this, and you turn around and have not one, not two, not three, but four consecutive DMPs. guess what? You are being defiant, which brings us back to Tibbs. Because if you're being defiant, this is a guy that after he departed from Minnesota was lucky to have the Knicks job. We all know he knows basketball. We all know he's a defensive genius. We all know that last year he was the coach of the year or what have you. But evidently, you forgot who looked out for you by employing you and giving you this next job because you're engaging in a level of defiance that is inexcusable, that in all likelihood will and should get you fired. It's a mess. It's a mess equitable to what they before last year when they missed seven straight post season appearances,
1: the New York Knicks are officially back to being utter trash. They suck. Stephen A joins okay. us. You know, fundamental basketball. You got a 28 point lead. The Knicks ended up the night 16 of 18. From the free throw line. Why I'm losing my mind with Tibbs is he enables these guys to shoot jumpers, to take outside jumpers, to let Randall live beyond the arc and not attack the rim. You're making your free throws. Slow the game down, get in a half court offense, attack the rim, knock down some free throws. They cut the lead, say, from 28 to 19, and then you build the lead up again. This was a collapse because the coach. Thibodeau, as we talked about, lost control of the game. And Stephen A., what does that say? Thibodeau comes in highly regarded as a defensive head coach. He knows basketball. He's been on the staff with Pop and Coach K. He knows what he's supposed to be doing, and he can't manage the game. It's like Tom Brady being down 28-3 in the Super Bowl, and man can't pick up two first downs with Julio Jones. They can't run for two first downs. The game's over. So whenever there's a great collapse, whenever you see a collapse and there's an epic comeback, you got to look at the coach. And I think the coach lost the room that the guard. Do you say that the Garden fans have had enough with him? I think the Garden
2: fans have had enough because it appears he's not on the same page as Leon Rose and management from Scott Perry to worldwide William Wesley on down. He's not on the same page as them, and I think that is the kind of thing that normally will cost him his job. If Tom Thibodeau keeps his job, in all likelihood, it's because Leon Rose and William Wesley have a personal relationship with them. Because if you're being objective and you're watching this team, you are seeing a team that he appears to have lost. You are seeing a team whose ear he does not have. You are seeing a coach that appears to be unappreciative and defiant about the guys who got him off the scrap heap and gave him yet another shot, his third, as a head coach in the National Basketball Association. There is no way to slice this. And I don't want to be the one to blame Tom Thibodeau because I think this roster is not much to work with. But again, if you acquire Kent Reddish, Kent Reddish is 6'8". He's got some skills. He was averaging 18 points over stretches for the Atlanta Hawks before he ended up getting traded. He got it traded from Atlanta because with Kevin Hurdle, with DeAndre Hunter, and other guys, they didn't want a log jam there, and they knew he wanted out. So as a result, they made the deal with the New York Knicks to send him on his way. But if you're the New York Knicks and you got Kemba Walker on one leg, you've got Evan Fournier giving you – five bad games for every one good game he gives you. You got Derrick Rose out. Clearly this is a guy, particularly when the only guy you've got to rely upon is Trey Burks. This is a guy that should be receiving some plans. He should be in the lineup. To give him four DMPs is straight, clear defiance towards management. you didn't agree with the move that they wanted to make for your player. There's only one way to look at that, and I just told you what that is. All those things considered, I don't know how he could go on with the New York Knicks as his head coach right now. I'm not saying this is fault, but I'm saying you're a victim of the circumstances you assisted in creating, and I don't know how you get absolved and get out of the war on this one. It is bad. It is just. I just got off the phone with Spike Lee. I told him for once in his life, damn it, be defined about the New York Knicks. Don't go to games. Don't go and cheer them on. We got to do something to stop this perpetual level of trash, to continue stenching this city. We've got to do something.
1: Stephen A., last one. With Philadelphia, your time there and being a New York Knicks fan, now in New York, what happens if it, if Harden doesn't deliver in Philly? Philly can run you out of town. Legends, whoever it is, how does Harden win over Philadelphia and how does Simmons go from being run out of Philadelphia and win over New York because the New York sports riders are the Brooklyn riders. How do these two mesh in these two hardcore sports towns where the fans go crazy if you don't win
2: easily? In the case of Harden, just resemble who you are in Houston, and as a result, Sixers fans will be absolutely fine with you. You are a scoring machine. Be that, and make sure that Joel and B continues to be the player that he is, and nobody will blame him for anything that transpires in Philadelphia, and Darryl Morey will be able to keep his job as president of basketball operations. If he doesn't, then Philadelphia will run James Harden out of town, and if they run James Harden out of town, they will damn sure run Daryl Morey out of town, and that will be that. In the case of Ben Simmons, it's a little bit different. You're not looking for him to be a scoring machine if you're the Brooklyn Nets, if you're their fan base, or anybody else. KD and Kyrie are there for that. What you're, willing, what you're looking for him to be is that extraordinary athlete who's a playmaker, the ball handling skills of a point guard, the passing skills of a of, a, of an extremely of gifted guard, the defensive prowess is one of the best defense players, top three players in the game today. I have a vote, and last year he was he was my vote for defensive player of the year. He's that kind of lockdown defender. That's what he brings to the table. That's what I think you look at, and when you look at the Brooklyn Nets you're not going to hold Ben Simmons accountable for their winning and losing. Kyrie Irving, to a strong degree, will have that culpability on his shoulders. Clearly, James Harden didn't want to be his teammate any longer. And KD will have that culpability because when healthy, he's the greatest player in the world. And on top of it all, everybody and their mother knows this is his team. And so he's going to have to be the one that leads, even though he doesn't like to, he just likes to flex. In the end, what it comes down to is that if those two do their job, and Ben Simmons simply does what he's capable of doing. The Brooklyn Nets have an elite defender and an elite playmaker. They picked up a shooter in Seth Curry. They picked up a rebounder in Andre Drummond. And the combination of the three, I believe, leaves the Brooklyn Nets with one team to worry about in the entire Eastern Conference, and that is the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't think anybody else in the East would take down The Brooklyn Nets, if they're fully healthy and fully loaded, and we'll have what Mayor Eric Adams does in terms of lifting the mandate that would allow Kyrie Irving to play, because something you may or may not have picked up on, J.T., and you know it all, if the playoffs were to begin today, and remember correctly, the Brooklyn Nets would have the Toronto Raptors as their opponent. Well, guess what? Not only is Brooklyn and New York someplace that has a mandate where you can't play if you're not vaccinated, you also can't play in Toronto, which means that Kyrie would have to miss that first round series against the Toronto Raptors team,
1: who's proven to be pretty good. Thanks for listening. Thanks for looking out for me. I appreciate you checking in. Thanks again. All right, my brother. Later. Stephen A. Smith. Really nice to hear from him. So I was losing my mind last night. He called in because he was losing his mind. We had a good NBA conversation, and that's the type of interview I want to share with you. It was one of the biggest interviews in sports last night because he's the biggest guy in sports now. And I know people go, well, no, he is. Highest paid guy, biggest ratings, biggest name at ESPN, and he's got strong opinions, really strong opinions. That was brought to you by Modelo. Bucket of Modelo's tomorrow. My Modelo friendship is strong They know I drink Modelo in my backyard. They know on a Friday I reward myself after a week of Raider Nation Radio with an ice-cold bucket of Modellos because I love the fighting spirit. Coming up next, we are going to talk to an individual who's very opinionated on the Raiders, Jordan Schultz, who has a couple of big platforms, formerly at ESPN, Yahoo, and he's going to talk about Derek Carr. He believes the contract extension is going to happen. So I'm going to interview him, and we'll see what he has to say on top of a lot of other topics. Right here on the flagship of the Raiders, Raider Nation Radio.
0: My agent has a great relationship. I think he does. I think that they would say that we do a good job of communicating, um, you know, back and forth about a lot of things. You know, Lord knows there's been a lot of things to communicate about. Right. Um, And I I think that, you know, when the time comes, I never want to face to face, you know, do that. I'm going to play quarterback, you know, uh, but my message will be talked about. You know and they'll talk about it and they can do what they want and all that kind of stuff. You know they're always honest and uh, you know and they'll talk about it and they can do what they want and all that kind of stuff. You know they're always honest and uh, forthright so I'm not going to go and have dinner and say we have to do something. I'm not that guy.
1: That's Derek Carr and I agree with him. Derek's always handled his business the right way when it comes to contracts and what he does in the community. In the business side of it. Uh, Joining us is Jordan Schultz. He has several big platforms, opinionated NBA and NFL insider. He's kind enough to join us on Raider Nation Radio. Jordan, good to talk to you as we begin. You've been discussing Derek Carr a lot on your platforms. Where do you stand with Carr and the new Raider regime on a contract extension?
0: Yeah, I think it looks really good for him. And I think it's the right move. You know, one of the things, JT, that Josh McDaniels, Sold the Raiders on before he got hired, you know, during the interview process was, hey, I can win with this guy and I believe he is the guy. And so what we're looking at now is really, I think, one of two things. I think it could be a short term deal or a long term deal, but both sides are motivated to get a deal done. Um, I was told a couple of days ago, you're looking at somewhere in the range of 35 million plus. Now that might seem like a really large number. But I think it's pretty reasonable when you consider that's right around the Kirk Cousins-Jared Goff range. The salary cap is going up. And if it is a short-term deal, let's say it's a two-year extension he's got three years left, then it's a, almost a, a proven opportunity for Derek with a new coach and a new GM and his field to say, this is what I bring to the table. Derek's still only 30 years old. And I know he's not everything the Raiders want. And I know he's not the perfect quarterback for the fans, but he is someone you can win with. And I I think Josh really believes that.
1: So you believe through your sources that Dave Ziegler, the GM, and Josh McDaniels, the new head coach, this was part of them wanting to come to Las Vegas.
0: Yeah, I reported on the 29th, I believe it was, and the 31st, that there were two things that Josh really laid out. One was he wanted to have more two tight end sets with Waller and Foster Moreau which was not necessarily part of his game plan with John Smith and Hunter Henry in in New England. But I think he really feels like both those guys are super athletic. And the other one was, I want to get, and this is Josh's input, Josh's input saying, I want to get Derek's input within this offense of how can, how can I best maximize you Derek and all the weapons you have around you to have more success in the red zone? How can we better deploy Josh Jacobs in the red zone? And find the end zone, because that was clearly a huge issue for the Raiders during the regular season was the red zone offense. And, you know, it's it's one of those things in that division, too, JT, where, as you saw, uh, the division is, is clearly – it's the best division in the league, I believe, and you have to score points. You can't settle for field goals. And I think what you're going to see with McDaniels and Derek Carr moving forward is uh, quicker offense, more up-tempo, and I think something that will – going back to those two tight ends, I think you'll really see – the further development of Foster Moreau, and then more excitement from Darren Waller. He, they're going to line him up all over the field.
1: Jordan Schultz is our guest. So one more thing on this Raider topic. It's a big deal because the quarterback market always seems to be open. You see names like Deshaun Watson. We'll get to that momentarily. Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. So for those who have speculated, if Derek wasn't here, he'd be a part of a trade package to get one of those bigger names, those more elite names. Where have you stood on that topic over the last year or two?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, Russell's been someone that for the last couple of years has clearly at least thought about what life will be like outside of Seattle. And, you know, I'm from Seattle. He is beloved there. He's he's really the face of the city in terms of sports. But I I clearly he has had issues with the offensive line. And, you know, they they have cycled through a a variety of offensive coordinators. Uh, They just fired another one, I think. If I had to put a number on Russell Wilson returning, um, I think it's 50-50 or worse that he'll be back. But I don't think it'll be with the Raiders. What I was told a couple months back was Denver was really interesting to him, potentially New Orleans. That was before Sean Payton stepped aside. I know we've heard rumblings of Philadelphia and and maybe even um, the Giants. But uh, to me, Russell Wilson, if if he wants to win a championship and get back to the Super Bowl – I just I just think Denver, it makes a lot of sense because they have a team in place that is uh, capable right now with receivers, a better offensive line than Seattle has, a running game with Javante Williams. So if I had to say, you know, if there's one team that makes the most sense, it would probably be Denver. But I don't see the Raiders getting involved with him. I do think you mentioned Deshaun Watson. You know, he's interesting because he hasn't played in a year. He's still very young. He's an elite player. I was told a few weeks back that Minnesota was a dark horse, and I saw that today being mentioned. Um, But it really comes down to Deshaun with that no trade clause. You know, he's going to ultimately decide his fate.
1: Jordan Schultz is our guest. Follow him at Schultz underscore report. Yeah, I've been fascinated on this topic with Deshaun Watson. I think he's super elite. He's young. He's got a tremendous skill set. Wherever he ends up, he's held back Houston on the ability from just moving on. A coach gets fired. The Lovie Smith hire doesn't seem right. Miami wanting him initially. and What happened with Brian Flores? First off, from a legal perspective, why is this taking so long? And because, when you think yeah, about Rusty he, Harden and the names that are involved here, the, the lack of information and how quickly we get legal news and gossip, why is this moving so slow?
0: Well, it's because he had over, I believe, over 30 suits, 10 of which I believe have already been settled, but there's still around 20. And on top of that, the NFL has not made it clear about a suspension. What I would anticipate is you're looking at a four, maybe six-game suspension him. Next season, but one of the interesting things is, Deshaun, if he wants JT, and I think this is very realistic, could restructure his contract, knowing full well he's going to be suspended, and therefore, you know, go to a team that might not be in a great cap position, but the because he could restructure it and backload it, then he could therefore make it work. Um, But to to answer your question, it's been extremely frustrating just as a fan because. You always want the best players on the field, and it's only a matter of time before he gets back. But there is a lack of information. I think what's going to happen is everything's going to be settled out of court. There's going to be private settlements, and he will be playing next season after a suspension.
1: Yeah, and I think that's interesting, Jordan, because if he does settle, he's not admitting guilt. He's settling there, and he's handling his life, but he's not clearing his name. And I wonder with all the controversies, and we'll get right. to more of them, that, that's on the desk of Roger Goodell now. Does Roger Goodell go longer? than four to six games because of the way maybe and the backlash eight. he'll get around the league.
0: Yeah, maybe eight. Yeah, I, I don't think you go more than eight. I, I, I can see eight. Yeah, you're, it's an interesting point about about not clearing your name. I haven't really thought about that. I just, I just think about what's the fastest way to him getting back on the field. But the slowest way is to have a long, drawn-out lawsuit or multiple lawsuits. And that costs a tremendous amount of money as well. I just think he wants to get back on the field. Um, and if, if you're looking at it, Strictly from a Raider perspective, what would, you know, hypothetically, let, let's just say we want to be a Raider, what would it look like with Deshaun Watson? Well, you're talking about Mick Lombardi, who's really, I think, going to do an excellent job in tandem with Josh McDaniels in a top 10 red zone offense in New England. And if you were to bring in Deshaun Watson to that offense with some of those weapons, um, they, they would be clearly an elite offensive unit. Uh, and they were pretty damn good last year with Derek. So, yeah, that's, that is enticing if you're a Raider fan.
1: You tweeted out about Von Miller and the potential for him coming back there on a short-term deal or testing the market or what it'll look like. This is a big deal for me because I still think he has something left in the tank. He proved that. And when you look at the cap of the Rams and who they want to bring back to roll this back again, how realistic is it that they'll have a similar, almost same team they had the way we saw that with Tampa Bay when Brady and everybody came back last year? Well, the
0: number one priority for them is Aaron Donald. They have to commit, you know, because I'm sure you saw that report that, oh, maybe he'd retire. I think that's strictly a leverage play. But he's not paid like the number one defensive player in the league. He's he's paid like a top 20 guy. He needs to be in that first or second highest paid discussion. And so once they figure that out, which they will, he's only 30 years old, then you can look at guys like Von Miller. And I think Von Miller is someone that's a priority for them, for the, for the Rams. Les loves him. He loves that he's close with Aaron Donald. Sean McVay really got, you know, felt like he he added a lot, and obviously Leonard Floyd was there as well. But the market for Von Miller, to your point, because he did play well down the stretch, he made some plays in the playoffs, is going to be pretty robust. And I know Denver is going to make a push to bring him back. Um, there'll be four or five teams in the mix for him. But I think the Rams got a real shot to bring him back if they're able to sell him on, we're going to have virtually the same team next year, let's go win another championship.
1: Jordan, let's dive into the NBA and your expertise, especially with the pull-up pod with C.J. McCollum. I'm just fascinated that every night and the next day, if I look at box scores online and I'm watching games the way I do, I'm a passionate NBA fan, I can barely find a night when stars are playing, both team combined. There's always one guy out with an injury, one guy not right. coming back Lord quick enough from an injury, another star right. out. You grew up with the NBA, very passionate. Where is the state of the game? And I'm, I'm not talking about load management anymore because there's a spotlight on load management and Adam Silver and the owners are upset about it. But the lack of ability for players to rehab and come back and instead of coming back early, they're coming back two or three years later and the league is driven by stars and I don't see them well
0: one of the issues they've had is you know they haven't been able to find their rhythm um, post uh, a post pandemic post bubble so i'm looking at it right now i saw this a couple months ago they they're up their ratings are up about 10% uh, but the but that that's still a very low rating for them and in other words if, you're, if your ratings are about 1.5, 1.6 million across ESPN, ABC, and, and, and TNT, that's still very low compared to the heyday of the NBA. On one hand, you think of all the young stars they have, and there's so many great young stars. You pay Tatum, Booker, Morant, the list goes on. On the other hand, there's only a few teams, realistically, that you look at every year, and this is a problem the NBA has always had. There's only a teams, a handful of teams that you really believe can win it, and if you go back, the last 30 years there's only eight or nine franchises that have won championships so i to me the nba is, is is in a is in a good spot because of the young stars but to your point the issues that we're looking at and the way guys are held out now much more so than they used to be because the information is so robust and their teams refuse to take chances on young stars Zion's one of them. Clearly, he's had a lot of issues with his weight, but it goes way beyond Zion. Mm -hmm. I mentioned load management because I I was talking to an agent today. He said, you know, 15 years ago, if you're a star, you're playing 40 minutes a night, 42 minutes a night. Now, you're not even playing back-to-backs because we have all this information that says you shouldn't be playing. It's not worth it in the long term. So, I think the league is in a really good place from a young superstar perspective, but in terms." realistically the ratings and the amount of teams that can win a championship, it's, it leaves a lot to be desired.
1: Last one. What do you make of the Simmons hardened deal and who do you think wins it and has a better chance going deeper in the postseason?
0: Well, okay. So I was told a couple of days ago that Ben wants to play and he, maybe he's a month away. If he, if he's a month away, then Brooklyn can get this thing right before the playoffs, because they're going to have, you know, basically a month or, or three weeks to get it going before things really ramp up in April. It, but if, if let's say he doesn't play until April, then all of a sudden it, it looks like Philadelphia. I think it hinges more on Ben than James. You know, the issue with James in Brooklyn was want to be there. He made that abundantly clear, JT. And it was very frustrating uh, for that whole team to, to operate with him, along with the drama of Kyrie only playing in half games. Philadelphia, for to their credit, maybe they gave up too much, but to their credit, JT, they real they recognize that right now they have a window to win a championship. All it takes is a little bit of luck in the playoffs. We saw it with Milwaukee last year. Maybe somebody gets hurt. If you're on the cusp, if you're in the discussion with a superstar like him, now all of a sudden you add hard and they're gonna be much better. So I think, you know, if if I'm a gambling man, I say it's Philadelphia because the odds for them to, to see it right away are, are better. But Brooklyn I would not count out yet because once you have a healthy Kevin and if Ben were to play, I think anything's possible. But Listen, Philadelphia should be ecstatic. They kept Seibel, they kept Maxi, and they get a guy in James Harden who, when he's right, is a top-ten player.
1: Thanks, Jordan. I really enjoyed this. Hope to do it with you much more often. Thank you. Anytime, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, a microphone on. Bobby, be good. Thank you. So there he is. We appreciate a Jordan Schultz there. His, his father is the multi-billionaire of Starbucks, Howard Schultz. So he grew up in that industry, in the NBA, a lot of – impactful conversations that he's had over the years when it comes to the Seahawks and the NFL, and that's his opinion on what's happening with Derek Carr, and he feels pretty confident about that. 702-365-9200 as we continue on. Good day today. Phil Villapiano, if you missed that interview, you can find it at lvsportsnetwork.com, and we're excited about that. We have other Raiders coming up next week that we're working on here with our off-season programming And more to get to. If you've been on hold, you want to get through now, 702-365-9200, Raider Nation Radio. Sean McVay's pretty cocky. They have the right to be. JT, back with you. Brought to you by Grimaldi's. Best pizza I ever had. Five locations here in the Valley. Stop off and get some Grimaldi's to go. The $50 gift cards are coming back. You just heard from the super team, the Rams, at their parade yesterday. Joining us, the franchise from Southern California. My good friend, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. Lee, thanks for coming on. And what was it like for you watching the Rams build the super team and back it up and win it?
3: Uh, I, I think at the end of the day, the pressure points were enormous on uh, Sean McVay on Matthew Stafford, but the team was built to win because they traded nine first-round picks in a row uh, to be able to stockpile this phenomenal amount of talent. Uh, you know, I thought they were going to beat Cincinnati. Uh, they struggled a little bit. They did finally gather themselves back and and beat them. And this is a team that's going to win for the next couple of years, and then then obviously. Everything catches up to them because they traded all these draft picks away. But, you know, dynamic coach, a quarterback that's gotten progressively better rather than being a thrower, but being a complete quarterback, obviously a state-of-the-art defense with maybe a Hall of Fame, best-of-all-time defensive tackle, and Aaron Donald. I, w- I was really impressed uh, because they fought through the adversity. When Beckham went down, it was like the air came out of the balloon JT. Uh, and, you know, right after Beckham went down, Matthew Stafford went two for nine throwing the football. Mm-hmm. And had back to back interceptions. Uh, and all of a sudden, it just wasn't the same team. But they gathered themselves in. Uh, they started to find Cooper. And obviously, the defense just took over in the second half. From the Cincinnati perspective, going in the front door, I just did not think the right side of the offensive line could hold up. And through the first half, they doubled on Aaron Donald a fair degree and slowed down the pass rush. But the Utura made it half and all of a sudden, Von Miller and those other linebackers started to come free on scrapes and stunts. Go ahead, you you double Aaron Donald. We're going to send a guy up inside behind Aaron Donald. And that's when they got into Burrow's face. I mean, when you sacked him six times in the third quarter, you changed the whole chemistry of the game. All that being said, though, credit to Burrow. I mean, he he hung in there, and they were right at the doorstep with an opportunity to get the, the game-tying field goal on the final possession. And There's a lot of controversy, obviously, about the non-call on the T. Higgins face mask issue. A lot of people, I don't know if anybody's discussed this at length, but I saw a video slide that Aaron lining up offside Mm -hmm. on that final fourth down play. His helmet was across the line of scrimmage, and nobody threw a flag. Uh, I thought it was a hell of a Super Bowl. uh, But, you know, the Rams were to win. Cincinnati hung in there like they did in all these special road games. I give them an awful lot of credit now. we go to the offseason. You know, on the storylines... Anybody retire in Los Angeles? I don't think so. Uh, and I think the other storyline in Cincinnati is Mike Brown, who has a history of holding on to his dollar bills. He's got himself a franchise quarterback. Or are you going to do some things to help that franchise quarterback by continuing the draft and going to free agency to fix the offensive line, which is, is really the weak spot? So that's, that's my summary look at you know the tremendous Super Bowl. The playoffs were just unbelievable. As witnessed by the TV ratings, it just came out this afternoon, 100 million. Watch the Rams and the Bengals. So, fascinating story.
1: Hacksaw is our guest. Uh, it's a great analysis of the game. Now, let me dive back in with a couple of points. First off, uh, we like talking legacy over the years. If Stafford fumbles, tip ball, interception, he had a 15-play drive to win the Super Bowl. And I think it's a top, you know, a lot of times, as you know, Lee, go out, it's in the go-outs in a Super Bowl, Montana to Taylor, you know, Tom Brady setting up Vanateri against Kurt Warner and the Rams. Sometimes you don't need a touchdown, you just need a game-winning field goal. I look at this as one of the great Super Bowl drives because of the length of the drive, the duration, and everything that had to happen. What does that do for the Stafford legacy with all the yards, all the touchdowns, with plenty of years left, and a Super Bowl ring?
3: Well, he's got one. But you know what? Greatness is more than Greatness is obviously the top of the mountain with Brady, but, you know, greatness might be Roethlisberger. Greatness might be the accomplishments of Eli Manning. Can he repeat it? Uh, But I I think it it proves the point that you can have a great quarterback and garbage around him and you don't have a prayer, as witnessed by his long career in Detroit. You saw what he inherited when he went to Los Angeles, what he became. And, yeah, yeah, he he threw interceptions, and he didn't in the middle of the season when they had the losing streak, too. And he's just, you know, he's just good, and he's, he's phenomenal in terms of physicality and his mental approach to the game and all that, but I think it's a little too premature to start using the word legacy as it relates to Stafford mm-hmm. or dynasty as it relates to the Rams. You know, that you can only match this if you've done it for a whole chunk of years, and, you know, do it what Aaron Rodgers has done in Green Bay with his one-loss record and then what Mahomes accomplished in Kansas City. I think it has to happen a couple more times before we can use the word legacy. It relates to Stafford. But good guy, and I'll tell you, there's an intangible story here. When you, when you know the story of Matthew Stafford and bad organization and all that, and then what his wife went through to fight through cancer with all those young kids, that's I mean, a hell of a story. It's a hell of a story for Joe Burrow and the $1.5 million he raised based on his Heisman Trophy speech uh, and, and the money that's been produced since then uh, for the poverty-stricken families that live in southeast Ohio, uh, in, you know, deep in, in the hills of Appalachia, what that kid did on behalf of his hometown in that region. I mean, these are two really, really special guys.
1: Axel is our guest. the other teams around football who are looking now saying, I don't need my draft picks, especially if they're in the 20s, late 20s. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try to follow what Les Snead did. It's almost impossible to do. And if Cincinnati won that game, they should have been able to get in the field goal range and potentially win. What are we saying about the Rams? My point is, do you see other organizations and owners saying, follow what the Rams are doing, blow up the draft and go get me some stars? Or is that just one team every 20 years can pull off something like that?
3: Well, I guess you got the George Allen Redskins of yesteryear. Uh, maybe, maybe that they pulled that page from there. I don't think you can do it very often. Uh, You've got to have deep-pocketed owners, though. And, and Stan Kroenke and Walmart money, that's worth $21 billion. So when this group gets old and they don't have any draft picks, they'll have to obviously replenish that roster by doing it in free agency. But he's got that kind of money. I don't know if Mike Brown has that kind of money nor willing to spend that kind of money. How many owners are willing to do what Kroenke did? I think it's a once in a lifetime gamble that did pay off, and they own the Los Angeles market because they got that shiny new stadium. So money will never be an issue there because that thing's going to host in Super Bowls. It's it's going to host the college football playoffs. It's going to be part of the whole Olympic scene. I mean, the the guy's a doer as it relates to being just an unbelievable business entity. Uh, so you know, I think the Rams are set for a long time because they've got the resource to do it. Not everybody else can.
1: Hacksaw is our guest. Uh, take me behind the scenes of what happened. Tyler Skaggs, the new drug scandal that we look back on, not ongoing here. Matt Harvey, I know you're doing a lot of investigative reporting and writing on this topic. A lot of baseball fans have checked out right now because of the lockout and no promotion of the sport. What are you sensing and what have you learning behind the scenes here, Lee? I think it's hard. Uh, and and I'll tell you what we, you know, I was a young sports talk show host when the
3: cocaine. Uh, crisis, uh, stained baseball in the 1970s, and we went from that to the amphetamines of the 80s, and obviously we spilled into the steroid era that we're just starting to recover from. But now now we've got opioids. And, and I this fear, and I talked to two different owners, or I exchanged emails with two different owners uh, in the last 24 hours. My biggest fear is you know, opioids are everywhere, and the dangers of fentanyl are everywhere, whether it's in an alley on a street corner And obviously, now in a baseball clubhouse, I fear that this stuff is going on in some clubhouses. Now, I don't know if it's as rampant as the cocaine issues, but I got to fear if it's in Anaheim the way it was, it's got to be other places in baseball. So now I think MLB and the union have to step up, aside from the CBA they're trying to get done, they've got to step up and try to find a way to continue to test and continue to deal sternly because this was a club official. That was trafficking in his own clubhouse and in hidden hidden closets and guys doing drugs in in the bathroom and uh, just awful. Uh, and I feel terrible for Artie Moreno. He's a great owner. There's a good people, not that organization that are just kind of in a state of shock about what's happened. So I, I just think baseball and the union have to step up. And in terms of this closing argument, I was I was shocked when the defense called only five witnesses after the prosecution had dragged everybody into the courtroom to testify against that PR director that was the drug dealer. And the tragedy in all this is nobody nobody knew or nobody helped Tyler Skaggs, and he died because of fentanyl. That's a horrific thing that baseball is going to have to carry through and solve going forward once the CBA deal is done.
1: Hacksaw, as we wrap it up. And finally, I'll just touch on what happened. You know, the Knicks collapse, collapse against Berlin. one of the great collapses I've ever seen. I was calling into your radio show in the 90s on the Knicks when it was the last time they were any good. And I, I watch the NBA every night. I do this at night for a long time. I never know who's playing. Load management we discussed in the past. The problem now in the NBA is players won't come back on time from injury. Hey, the All-Star Games this weekend. Hey, take a couple more games off. We'll see you when you get back from the All-Star break. There's no sense of urgency. There's no passion for the fans. These enormous prices to go to games. Just don't feel like the majority of the players in this league are always bought in. There's plenty of great players. You know, Luka Doncic is one. You go around the league, there's some great players. But overall, I feel like the NBA's losing me on certain nights. I just don't see anyone caring about the regular season anymore, or even pretending.
3: Well, I think there, there are multiples of problems. The amount of money that the NBA stars are making is ghastly. And when we start talking about 3 to $45 million and mid-range guys coming off making 20 to 30 I mean, that's obscene. That That's one item. I understand they are in the profits with the owners, et cetera, et cetera. I think the second thing, and I don't know how they're going to get this under control because I think this is a bigger problem than anybody's willing to let on. I, know, I think Adam Silver might have touched on it today at a press briefing, is that the players run the league. And Silver's taken back privately by the fact players are mandating where they want to go and who they want to play for and why they don't want to be here and you're going to trade me, et cetera, et cetera. And the, the reality of, of the whole Ben Simmons thing, it's like he didn't care that he lost $19 million of his salary this year by sitting out. And I, I know he said it was a mental health issue, but he goes across the street in his trade and suddenly two days later yeah. his mental health is okay to play for the Brooklyn Nets. That to me is a terrible, terrible sign of what the NBA has become. Now I'm not denigrating the greatness of LeBron James or, as you would say, any of the bright young superstars that are coming in the league. But to me there's just too yeah. many problems as it relates to the player's power. Like no general manager works for the club. He winds up
1: working for his star player. I don't know how the league is going to get that under because it's not that way in other places. Absolutely. Leah, got to run. Preach, send everybody to the website. Watch it. Look at it every day. Thank you, my friend. Talk to you soon. Hacksaw and the breaking news, former Angel staffer Eric Kaye has just been found guilty of distributing the drugs that led to the death of XMLB pitcher Tyler Skaggs. Breaking news at TMZ Sports. That had to happen. Baseball's going through a rough road. There's really nothing happening at all. Could affect big league weekend, everything getting pushed back, no negotiations happening, and we're in the middle of a lockout. Thanks to our guest today, Jordan Schultz, Phil Villapiano. That was a lot of fun. And Kirk Bush, who was kind enough to join us live. As we get ready for the Daytona 500. Off a couple of days here tomorrow, we're going to play right here the John Madden Memorial. That will air at this time. And I think you'll be really impressed if you didn't see it or hear it when it went down on Monday night. And you'll find it here on the flagship. Thanks to Bobby for putting the show together. We'll see you back, everybody, after President's Day on Tuesday.